0: In this morning, how many of you are Queen fans? Any any Queen fans in the room? I'm not not talking about the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth. I'm talking about the 70s, 80s British rock band Queen. We are the champions, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, any any Queen fans in the room? So uh, you guys are familiar with their lead singer, the eccentric and incredible vocalist, one of the best vocalists ever, uh, uh, Freddie Mercury. And of course, he died in 1991, but shortly before his death, he gave an interview. He didn't give a lot of interviews, really in the last 10 years of his life, but in this interview, he was really introspective and talked about an intense loneliness that he had experienced, and he, he, he says this. We'll put this up on the screen. He says, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that is the most bitter type of loneliness. He said this. He says, success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds. Of course, he's British, so you can use dollars, but In spite of world idolization and millions of dollars, it has prevented me from having the one thing we all need. And then he utters these three words. The one thing that we all need, he says, is loving, ongoing relationship. That the one thing that we are all looking for is loving, ongoing relationship. Here's a guy who had it all. Had all the money that it would take to buy it. Had all the people clamoring for his attention, fame. Everything that we look for in life he had it, and he said, but I was lacking one thing, loving, ongoing relationship. I've been a pastor now for a little over 20 years, and I can't tell you, probably thousands of people that have sat across from, teachers and factory workers and bank tellers and high school students and retirees and people going through divorce and people facing death and people who sit across, and they'll use different words, but I promise you, it is always about what I'm looking for is loving, ongoing relationship. And I think the reason why, we, why our hearts stir for that so much is because we were created for it. In fact, originally, the original story at the very beginning with the original man and the original woman, Adam and Eve, is that they had loving, ongoing relationship. They had it vertically in the relationship with God, a God that they knew, he wasn't far away, he wasn't distant, that they would communicate with and talk with and walk with, that they had this with God, but God. But because of that, they also had it with each other in the horizontal. In fact, I would submit to you that I wish the Bible was just Genesis 1 and 2. I wish there was no Genesis 3. I wish the Bible was more of a pamphlet than it is a book. In fact, the last verse of chapter 2 says, it has this verse that says that they both were naked and they had no shame. As a middle school student, I was a little bit, me and my friends were a little bit like Beavis and Butthead, and we were like, <laughs> naked, <laughs> they were naked. But the older I get, the more I realize that it's not just talking about a physical nakedness that they enjoyed, that they enjoyed an emotional nakedness, a relational nakedness that there was can you imagine a, a, a relationship where there's no fear, no insecurity, no secrets, no, no, no hiding? The perfect authenticity, perfect intimacy. And this is what they enjoyed with one another, and this is what they enjoyed with God. Loving, ongoing relationship. What our souls hunger for. But unfortunately, there was a Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 begins with deceit. And it's a deceit that we all have faced. It's a deception of darkness of the evil one that comes at us and says that you can't really trust God. God is holding out on you. God is keeping something from you. It was the original FOMO, it was the original fear of missing out that there's something out there that I haven't experienced that God is keeping from me, and they believed the lie, and they did the one thing that God told them not to do. they ate of the forbidden fruits. And here we are in 2022, and the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. The hi, my name is Ken. And I've eaten of the fruit. I've done the things that I don't want to do. And I've done the things that I don't want to do. Here's what I find. You know, when we talk about sin, people get really uncomfortable. And maybe, maybe you're even sitting in here this morning and you're going, "I'm not a sinner." I like, compared to the person I'm sitting next to. <laughs> I'm not a sinner. Like I'm a good. Here's what we like to believe about ourselves. We all want to believe of ourselves that I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a. Well, we 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 use this. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person to chant. And so when you talk about sin, when we talk about sin, we get uncomfortable. But the truth of the matter is, listen, I I think you would agree with this. I don't even live up to my own expectations and standards. I mean, here we are, 100, and I think it's 18, someone, someone will give me the math later, days into the year. And how many of you have kept all of your New Year's resolutions? Like, I can't, even, I can't even keep my own standards and expectations, let alone the expectations and the standards of a holy, righteous, eternal God. And so you don't need to get all bound up by this. You don't need to get your panties in a wad over this. It is what it is. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's standard. And because of that, there's been a disruption. There's been an explosion in our relationship with God that we cannot have the loving, ongoing relationship that we all so desire with God. But also, it's not just that. The vertical always affects the horizontal. And that's why we struggle in our relationships with one another. That the very best marriage in this room, if I was to bring you up and interview you, you would say, oh man, there have been whole seasons of our marriage where I didn't like the person I was married to. Now, don't say amen to that, because it's Easter, and I don't, get, have a, I don't want you to have a bad lunch today. But this, this disruption, this explosion, in this loving, ongoing relationship of, of not having that with God, it affects everything, doesn't it? So what do we do? Like, what's the answer? What can we do? And I hate to break it to you, but there's not a lot that you can do about it, and there's not a lot that I can do about it. That what has happened is basically what has been established is a debt-debtor relationship between us and God. That because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our pride, because of our greed, because of our jealousy, because of our judging, because of our lack of compassion, because of all these things, like there's this debt-debtor relationship, and I owe God a debt that I could never possibly repay. Several weeks ago, we had the, the great advantage opportunity during spring break to, to go west, and so we flew into Las Vegas, and then we rented a car and drove south and got to go through Arizona and then drove north through Utah, and all in like five days. I mean, it was a crazy trip, but because we flew into Las Vegas, I thought it'd be cool let's at least take an afternoon and, and walk the strip in Las Vegas, and one of the, I mean, it's just sensory overload, right? Have you ever been there? I mean, it's crazy walking that strip, and, but there was this billboard, a digital billboard that I thought was really interesting that keeps track of the national debt. I don't know, have you, have you ever seen one of these? They have these in some of the large cities and stuff you'll go to. And, and it's just this clock. It just keeps spinning it out. And, and, and actually, this isn't my picture. Um, this is a picture I found on Google because I wasn't smart enough to take a picture of it. But right now, it's over $31 trillion. And every once in a while, like every 10, 15 seconds, what happens is this digital billboard will then change to another screen where it tells you how much that is per U.S. citizen which right now is hovering around $91,000 per U.S. citizen that is owed to the national debt. And I don't say that. I'm not being political. I don't have an answer because <laughs> our politicians don't have answers either. I think they've just kind of decided they don't even care anymore. So this isn't to be political, but this is, just, this is just, I mean, think about that debt and how some of you just got so much angst and anxiety thinking about our national debt. Think about our spiritual debt that we owe God. Like it's unpayable. I can, I can do good things all day long, 24 hours a day, no sleep, just constantly trying to do as much good as I can, seven days a week, just constantly. I'm just going to only do good things. And I can tell you, we'll never be able to pay the debt. It reminds me of the story that happened in the mid-1800s. There was this, and if you took world history class, you'd probably remember some glimpses of this, but there was this event in world history called the Irish Potato Famine. Any of you remember that from world history class? The potato famine? This was not a small thing. So what happened was their potatoes got diseased, and I mean, just disgusting, and uh, because of that, the potato was a staple food, it was a staple of their economy, and, and there was disease that ravaged Ireland. Between 1846 and 1851, historians tell us over a million people died of hunger and disease because of this potato famine. And, and here's a crazy thing that happened is, is not only, I mean, on top of the death and on top of all the illnesses, on top of the disease, is because this was a staple of their economy, their economy immediately crashed. So, so think about the implications of this. Number one, there's no food because the potato is a staple of their diet, but now their economy has crashed. And so now even landlords are starting to send these payment due, like, hey, you can't stay where you're living unless you pay up. And by the millions, people were begging their landlords, listen, there's no one who can pay for this home. Can you at least, can we stay in this home, please? Like, can you have mercy? Please have mercy. And, and, and people were getting kicked out onto the streets. So they're hungry, they're now homeless. There was one landlord, he's gone down in history. His name was Canon Fawcett. We've got a picture of the dude up here, maybe, somewhere. There's a good-looking Canon. Just looks like a nice guy, does he? Canon Fawcett sent out this letter to his tenants. And he said, "Listen, here's a deal. You have to pay your rent." He actually used this phrase. He says, "It would set a bad precedent for me to let you out of your obligation. You have to pay your rent." And then he uttered this word, "but." "But I have enclosed something that might be a benefit to you." And attached to the letter was a check for an amount of money that was far greater than what they owed in their rent. This guy would go down, he, well, he's not up there anymore. Cannon Fawcett would go down as giving almost, he, was, he was, had an immense wealth, would spend almost all of his wealth during the potato famine to help others. But he said, listen, I have attached something that would be of benefit to you. I have a gift for you. It reminds me of the gift that God has for us. It reminds me of what God has done for you and I in the debt that we owe God that, that we couldn't possibly repay it. God is a lot like Canon. He says, "Listen, it still has to be paid." Like we 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 talk about God's love, that God is such a loving God, and He is He is complete and perfect love. We can only love because He first loved us. But we have to remember that at the same time, God is perfectly and completely just. He's a perfect judge that when the law is broken, there is a required sentence that has to be handed down. And when that sentence isn't handed down and when justice isn't meted out, we wanna recall the judge and say, you're a horrible judge. In the natural, we see that. And so God is this perfect judge and he says, listen, the payment has to be paid. Like, it would, it would set a bad precedent otherwise, but I have a gift for you. And the gift is his son. And his son would pay the price that you and I owe with his life. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible. Some of you in this room are super familiar and have whole chunks of this memorized. And some of you, just to be completely honest, have never opened a Bible in your life. Other than maybe being in a hotel and flipping through like the Gideon Bible or something like that. But in this Bible, which is really a library, it's a collection of books and letters that were written over a span of of thousands of years. And we have four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. We call these in church circles, we call them the Gospels. Matthew, Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John. Four different accounts from different perspectives. From even, one's even a Greek, wasn't even a Jew who wrote and gave an orderly account. And here's the interesting thing. When you look at the Gospels, out of these four Gospels, only two give details of Jesus' birth. But all four give detailed paragraphs to Jesus' death by crucifixion. Crucifixion was a big deal. We, we, we live in a culture where, and I, again, I'm not trying to get political, we live in a time of capital punishment where at this very moment, there are lawsuits that go through the judicial system regarding our form of capital punishment that it is cruel and that it, that, that, it, that, that it takes too long, that it's too painful. And so there's literally right now, some of you are looking at me cross-eyed, constantly there, there's different lawsuits going on and, and suing different states over this. The Roman Empire would laugh at all that. Crucifixion was developed by the Persians, but the Romans boasted that they perfected it because they were looking for a form of capital punishment that wasn't quick and wasn't simple. In fact, their whole deal was they wanted to keep the man alive as long as possible because for them, crucifixion or, or capital punishment wasn't about punishment as much as it was about being a deterrent. So they wanted young men, and I I use men as an example because most of the crimes, especially in the ancient world, would be pinned on men. And so they wanted young men to walk by, the, and they would would crucify people by the hundreds. Hundreds of people would be crucified at a time. They wanted people to walk by and see these guys slowly suffocating to death on a cross and go, I don't want to ever experience that. One author called it terror on display is what crucifixion was. So here is Jesus, this guy who had only done good, was righteous, was moral, was an incredible teacher. and healed people for goodness sake. And now here he is, brutally beaten, horrifically, I mean spikes driven through his hands and through his feet. Stripped of his clothes, totally naked, lifted up on a cross where he would slowly suffocate to death. But, but on top of that, he would be mocked relentlessly. Crowds of people would go by, and this was just kind of the form of entertainment back then. They didn't, they didn't have Hulu, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have Disney Plus, and so for them it was like, hey, what are we going to do tonight? Let's go, let's go make fun of some people getting crucified. And so they would walk by and they would swear and cuss and laugh and make jokes and belittle and throw food, and there's historical accounts of people urinating on the person who's being cru- crucified. Here's this guy who has been stripped naked and is publicly humiliated, being mocked relentlessly. The accounts tell us that there were some criminals that were crucified at the same time as Jesus. The Greek word for criminal implies that these were probably individuals guilty of armed robbery, including murder. So these weren't just like someone who stole a pack of gum from the gas station. You have the crowds that are mocking Jesus, But now you have these criminals, according to the gospels, these criminals start mocking Jesus as well. So he's getting it from both sides. People just relentlessly, I don't know, maybe it's mama jokes, maybe it's, I mean it could be, I thought it was funny, but I guess we're talking about crucifixion, so nothing seems like it should be funny in this moment. Luke, who is one of the four biographies of Jesus, he lets us in on a conversation that happens between two of these criminals. And this is where we wanna pick up in Luke chapter 23, we, ha- we pick up in the conversation. One of the criminals, hanging beside Jesus, scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And then he says, and us too, while you're at it. I, I, w- I want to stop right here because I think, I think, have you ever used sarcasm to try to say something that, that you really mean? Like you, like you really mean this, but you try to make it just snarky enough, just sarcastic enough that people won't really get what you're saying? I think this criminal knows about Jesus. I think he's heard about Jesus. In fact, back in that time, I don't think there was anybody in Jerusalem, at least, who hadn't heard some stories about Jesus. He had heard that here's this guy who some claim that he walked on water. Some claim that they were there in the crowd when he fed thousands all at one time. Some say that they were there to see him cure a person of leprosy or bring recovery of sight to a blind person. And so he's heard these stories. And so He's being crucified on a, on a cross, slowly dying. He knows that if there is an intervention, that he will die. And he sees Jesus, this one that all these claims have been made of. And so he says, hey, hey, why don't you save yourself? And why don't you save us while you're at it? Jesus, he says it's sarcastic enough that people won't know that he, that what, he's, what he's doing here. But he's saying, hey, can, you, can we bring things back to normal? Can we bring things back to the state that it was before we were hanging on a cross? It says in verse 40, but the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've thought a lot about this particular criminal who has the guts to say, Listen, shut your mouth. We deserve what we're getting. Don't you know anything about this man in front of us? Haven't you heard any of the stories? Haven't you watched him and observed him as he's been dying? Have you heard that he was uttering, Father, forgive them, as these guys were nailing him to the cross? Haven't you? He responds totally differently through all of this than we have responded. There's something different about him. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. And Jesus Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I I see two things going on. First of all, I see absolute courage. I mean, think about it. The crowd is mocking Jesus. All these criminals are mocking Jesus. And here's one guy who's saying, I don't care if everybody else is laying it on him. I'm not going there. Think about the courage. I mean, he's about to die. Why not? He just already probably committed armed robbery. Like, why not just go along with the crowd? You only got a few minutes left. Just, why, why buck the system at all? I think of his courage, but I also think of his incredible faith. He, he actually has the faith to think that this naked, bloodied man who is suffocating to death somehow has the power to change his future. Like, remember me when you come into your kingdom? How is he going to remember He's dying. But yet he has the faith to believe that even in this moment, that Jesus is able to achieve and accomplish something. That's a profound faith. It's a profound faith to say, God, I know how this looks. I I know that this situation seems impossible, but I am choosing to focus my eyes on you. I believe that your kingdom is greater than what I see with my own eyes. That's the kind of faith that this man has in this moment. The criminal wanted mercy, but Jesus was about to offer him something so much greater. He was about to offer him grace. Look at what he says next, verse 43, and Jesus replied, these words are incredible. I assure you today, I assure you, I promise you, you can count on this, I assure you today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, not tomorrow not in the sweet by and by you will be not you probably will be not maybe you will be with me relationship personal proximity closeness in paradise personal ongoing just a few minutes later john the son of zebedee would record this moment as he says in john chapter 19 jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. Verse 31, Jesus had tasted it. He said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This seems kind of weird, right? You have this sponge, Jesus t- tasting it, and, and then he says, it is finished. And this, this phrase, it is finished, Obviously, Jesus didn't speak English. He spoke Greek and Aramaic. And this term for it is finished is actually this word tetelestai. Tetelestai. And tetelestai, this is really, and I don't want I to, I know you guys are all smart, so stay with me for a minute. I'm about to get a little nerdy, but I promise you the payoff is really huge. Tetelestai is the perfect tense of a word teleo. Now, perfect tense, what in the world does that mean? There might be like 4 people in this room that understand what perfect tense is. I don't. I had to look it up. What in the world does it mean the perfect tense of the word teleo? What's that all about? So I looked it up and the perfect tense describes a past completed action with present effect. It's a past action that has ongoing it like it is finished and it is finished. And it is finished, like right now. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, it is finished. It's a past action that has ongoing present effect, like right now. Now here's, a, okay, that, that's a little bit cool. Here's a really cool thing, this tetelestai. This word tetelestai, we have these papyruses, not we, like I have anything to do with it. Archaeologists found these papyra papyri that were from about 2,000 years ago, from the same time as Jesus, that were accounting ledgers. And so they, they would actually have a list of, of bills and it would be an item and the amount that was due and then the top, in very elegant writing there would be this word tetelestine. And they're like, what, what in the world is it? This word is an accounting word as well that literally means paid in full. So think about it. Jesus is on the cross and he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he sees in the future, he sees all, all, all that we will owe him the debt that we owe and that is unmanageable, that we could never possibly pay up. And Jesus has been beaten and horrifically tortured and hoisted up on this cross and mocked and everybody's joined in on it. And Jesus in this moment looks out and he says, To Tetelestai. Tetelestai, would you say that with me? To Tetelestai, I know it's a hard word. For me, I spit a lot when I say it, but you can say it, let's say it together. Tetelestai to tell us die it's paid in full you don't have to make a payment you don't have to try to jump through hoops you don't have to try to be a good enough person to tell us die it you it's it's gone you don't have to pay it there's nothing left to pay that this past action continues to have present effects That it's effective today in this moment right now and you say but ken you don't know what i did doesn't matter to the criminal hanging on a cross guilty of armed robbery including probably murder jesus says i assure you today you will be with me in paradise why what did the man do he wasn't baptized he didn't go to a church membership class he didn't write a big sum of money you know a check do online giving to the church He he couldn't. He didn't do any of those things. See, for Jesus, it's not about jumping through religious hoops. What did he do? He had courage and he had faith. From the outside, it looked like an impossible situation, but he believed that there was something different about Jesus. Jesus, I believe that no matter what's going on around me, that I can have the assurance of your kingdom, and Jesus says, "I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise." A few minutes later, he utters, and I think in the loudest voice that he could, "Tetelestai," as his last word is paid in full for whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life not because you've done anything not because i've done anything not because we deserve it we don't but because on a cross he uttered the words and it's paid in full so my question to you this morning is not will you become a member of journey church question is do you believe now listen i don't put mean believe like you believe in the easter bunny i mean this word belief has a weightiness to it trust depend upon put your full weight on that i don't i don't understand it i've got questions there's there's things about the bible that that confuse me but i don't have to have it all figured out All I I have to do is come in a position of humility and say, Jesus, can you save me? Not only can he, he will, if you will invite him. I'm going to ask you all over this room to close your eyes and bow your heads. We started the service with these words of Freddie Mercury what I'm looking for more than anything is loving, ongoing relationship. I think for many of us in this room, that's exactly what we want. And God has made way for us to experience it. And when we experience it with God, we can experience it with one another. But it's only through the cross. Some of you say, Ken, this sounds too good to be true. Here's a reason why I know it's true. If it was just an issue of a man dying on a cross, listen, we wouldn't be here today. But on the third day, after his body was laid in a borrowed tomb, he busted through the wall of death. What we celebrate today, he was resurrected from the grave, proving his authority and his power that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, That he is taking care of the payment that is due. Not only is it finished, it is paid in full to tell us that. So my question for you with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to ask you to stand. We're not going to make you come to the front. But if you're here and you say, Ken, I need Jesus in my life. Jesus has not been in my life. I need his death and his resurrection to be front and center in my life. I recognize that I have a payment that I can't possibly pay, a debt that I can't possibly pay. I need Jesus to come and forgive me of my sins and be the master and leader of my life. If that's you, we're not going to embarrass you. I'm gonna start over on my left, which should be your right, and just look across the room. And if you'd say, Ken, would you pray for me this morning? I I want Jesus to be in my life. I wanna have the faith of that criminal on a cross who would say, I believe in your kingdom. I believe that you are the king. Forgive me. So again, I'm gonna start over on my left, to your right, and just look across. If that's you, would you just raise your hand if you say, Ken, would you include me in prayer? Yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, over in the middle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, several of you, yeah. Over to my right, your left, anybody? A number of you, that's awesome, you guys. Can we just pray this prayer together? I'm gonna ask all over the room, whether you raise your hand or not, would you join me in praying this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. He died to take my debt and to pay it in full forgive me I welcome you and invite you to lead my life empower me to follow you show me what it looks like to be your disciple in Jesus name amen guys that's we're celebrating this morning that's we're celebrating praise God I want you to know if you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand but, but you wanted to. I want you to know we have been praying for you all week. In fact, it's been longer than a week. We've been believing that God would stir some hearts and so maybe you're wondering, okay, is, is that it? I just I just raised my hand and you prayed this magic formula prayer over me and I don't feel any different, Ken. Like I don't like nothing seems like it's changed. Can I encourage you uh, we we st- this is a starting point in a journey of following Jesus. And we start by faith receiving his grace and receiving his forgiveness. But now it really does become a journey of following him, like literally following him, doing the things that he wants us to do, going in the direction that he wants us to go in. And so we have some helps that we would love to, to give you this week. On your connection card that I mentioned at the beginning of the service, at the very bottom, it says My Next Steps. And if you're starting a relationship with Jesus, if you would check that box, we have something that we want to not only send you in the mail, but we have some emails that we want to send you and some text messages. And, and I, I'm going to give you an invitation that I would love to meet with you. And so if you, if you would check that box, all of that's going to be available for you. Maybe you're reaffirming a relationship that you've had with Jesus in the past, if you check that box. And then in a moment, our greeters are gonna be back at, 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 the, at the doors with the buckets and greeters if you guys can help me out in making sure that that happens. Listen, We that's the greatest thing that could happen this morning. And so as you give us your information, we wanna be wise stewards of that and help you in following Jesus. I wanna welcome you to come back next week. We're starting a brand new series called Unstuck. So maybe for you, as you, as you yeah, yeah, Some of you feel that way. You're like, I identify with that. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about fear. We're going to be talking about depression. We're going to be talking about just different things in life. Sin, just different things that that cause us to get stuck. And we're going to be looking at David's psalms in particular of david's writings and, and david's experiences and how we can get unstuck and then i want to invite you if you're if you're wanting to grow in jesus and grow and not only knowing more about him but in relating to him more fully we have a class on thursday nights it's really a group it's a discussion oriented called the grow class i personally lead that class every thursday at 6:30, and it's five weeks i keep doing it every thursday but you just need to come for five weeks you can come more than five weeks but on the sixth week, you're going to learn the same stuff that you learned on the first week. And so we just keep doing that. So you can jump in at any time. Just jump in. You can jump in this Thursday. Come for five weeks. And we'll talk about how to read the Bible. We'll talk about how to pray. We'll talk about who is the Holy Spirit and, and what, it, what, what does he offer. And we're going to talk about just some really important things that have to do with growing in Christ. And then I want to invite you. Uh, we have some prayer partners that are going to come. And if you need prayer, if you walked in this morning with something heavy on your heart, As everybody else is leaving this morning, we want to invite you to come and and have someone pray for you. So prayer partners, if you guys could even now just come to the front. And then finally, if you have kids in the back, a really important announcement. Because of how many people we have this morning, we're going to ask just one person from every family to go back and get your kids. So instead of the whole family going back through the hallway and getting little Johnny or little Susie, if just one person from your family can take that sticker, you'll need that sticker, if you can go back there and get little Johnny and Susie, that'll help from that hallway being massively crowded. Does that make sense? Can you guys help us out with that? Would you stand to your feet? This week, my prayer for you is that you would experience through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, loving ongoing relationship. That this week you would have the assurance that your debt has been paid in full. That you are loved far greater than you can imagine by your heavenly father. God bless you guys. Have a great resurrection Sunday.